Hello all, welcome to the Lunar Sea Spire cartoon fan podcast. This is episode 387, and today we'll be talking about Convention from the Owl House. I'm GC13. And I'm David. That's right, unfortunately, no Soren today. Hopefully, Soren will be available for the next one. But luckily we have a narratively rich, another backstory-filled episode of the Owl House to cover. The show does not let up on giving us, you know, some exciting Ida tidbits because uh, her sister comes to town. Oh, and Luz is eating it up. <laughs> yes, Luz's appreciation for lore-focused episodes is, is wonderful. I do love at the end her saying, you have parents? You know, <laughs> like any good uh, fan <laughs> yeah. would. Like, uh, to be fair... Luz has no way of knowing what the witch reproductive cycle is like, and actually, we don't know what it's like either. We just see that they have nuclear families, but thankfully, they're mercifully short on the details. <laughs> well, yeah, we know that now Ida didn't come directly from hell, which we could have, you know, potentially thought before. Maybe all witches crawled up from there. I mean, I always thought maybe she hatched from an egg, but I guess I guess this episode is the one that busted that theory. <laughs> I mean, you can have parents and be born from an egg, so not busted yet. That's true. That's true. I uh, Once again, we have an episode which makes me question why they couldn't put Ida's butt in jail anytime they wanted. I understand that she's pretty good at breaking out, but I think it's ridiculous that her sister knows she's alive, knows she lives in the town. She's literally known as the Owl Lady, Lady, and her house has an owl on the front of it, and... You know, we even see that her sister's under a lot of pressure to find Evelyn and get her in jail. It's like, what are the factors? I understand her sister could be sympathetic, but it's so silly to me that if the Emperor wanted this to be dealt with, he hasn't just gotten it dealt with. There is an episode later on, I can't remember which one, where Lilith leads a team of scouts to attack the Owl House. And at first they play it up like it's going to be some big thing. And then you just see that Hootie just effortlessly destroys them. Like, he's playing with them. And, like, there's there's nothing Lilith can do to get past him. Uh, let alone all of the poor red shirts she brings with her. Which is deeply silly, but at least it is explained. At this point, I'm thinking, why? But later, I guess you have enough of a reason. But they make it sound like... They haven't tried before, <laughs> so they wouldn't know that the, the Owl House was such a hard thing to get past its defenses. Also, you know, she knows that her sister has a weakness, that she has the curse, but maybe she wouldn't want to play on that. Maybe that just feels too evil for her. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, as, as we will later find out, Lilith might feel a little guilty about exploiting Ida's curse, but uh, obviously right now we don't know anything about that. I, I do want to know why would she why would she throw away her awesome uh, cloak that she started? She just tosses it onto Bob. I thought she looked much better with it. Very good mystique. It's just like Jasper's cloak. Jasper should have stayed with the whole robe cloak thing. It was awesome, you know. And we had in Steven Universe Future this chance that Jasper would still be wearing, you know, a new cloak, and it just completely thrown away. Cloaks are underutilized. They're underutilized, and it's a shame. Yeah, really, you just use them for the intro, and that's it. Very sad. <laughs> They're great for tossing off. Cloaks deserve better. I don't know who did it first. I don't know, like, what cultural thing did that first, but, yeah. What do you think Lilith was using 
in that entrance? Was she like really standing there the whole time and she just used illusion to do all of that? Or is there some kind of teleportation magic? I I have deep questions about the the magic and the locking away <laughs> in the coven system from this episode, actually. Oh, I do too, because there's a swag coven. There's a swag coven. I don't understand the coven system. Yeah, I don't know why anyone would be as part of any th- any other coven unless it was to be in one of the cat covens. And I mean, baking coven? Really? You're, you have such special access to baking magic that you would lock away any other skill? Like, you can learn to bake, I think. That's another thing. Like, are these smaller covens that are advertising just smaller sections of the larger covens? I don't... I have so many questions. Yeah, I, the locking mechanism is also interesting, especially as we get further on in the show and figure out why any of this would even be happening. I, I don't know who discovered this mechanism. And, uh, you know, obviously at this point, though, you are at least thinking, hmm, who, you know, why would the Emperor want that? <laughs> you know, it's it's a cool setup. I like the idea of covens and this trade-off and the fact that it's also law, and Ida's the only one who's been avoiding it, which is why she has access to all these powers. But then again, so do all the Emperor's Coven members, which is also potentially a dangerous situation, because letting some Inner Circle have access to all the magic definitely seems like a risk for the Emperor to be taking. We'll see how it plays out. But they are handpicked for loyalty as well as ability, so... And yet he picked Lilith. Terrible idea. Yeah, that's true. Now, when I watched this episode, I didn't have to wonder about, like, why would they lock away every witch's magic except for the secret police? Why would only the secret police be allowed to be uh, very powerful witches? It's kind of obviously a mechanism for control. It's only later that you realize, oh, wait, he might actually be using that magic for something else. Right. Like, it might not be just controlling everyone. It's, it's, a, it's a cool idea. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see what happens. Meanwhile, hey. Oh, yes, we will. We get to see a little more of the same of Amity. And again, she's like this mean girl, but not quite mean girl hybrid that is really concerned about doing well in school and just doesn't have the right friends to be able to navigate this relationship with this, you know, very new, very strange human in her life. Yeah, Amity is really just being a mean girl because it's like, why are you bothering me? <laughs> right, like she, she just gets very hostile about that very quickly. <laughs> she just wants to be left alone. Their fight, I I'm glad that they decide to have a sister fight afterwards because I don't know, I didn't really, I didn't expect, I didn't feel tension. Yeah, that was a weak witch's duel between them. Yeah, I didn't feel the tension of like, oh, Luz is gonna stop training. Even though they tried to play it up with the contract, the magical contract, handshake. But, meh. And, you know, there's not a lot of action. She just kind of runs and hides in the corner immediately. And then Amity, you know, figures out that, okay, there's a bunch of traps hidden. And it's just, it's not very dynamic and the dialogue is meh. So that part of the episode, I I, I didn't care for that much. Um, I did enjoy King coming by in his swag, though. Oh, yes, he was great. You cheer for loser, no one at all. That's my guy. I, I I love how he gives terrible advice. He, like, demands that she uh, go through with the duel, and then it's like, oh, no, there's no way you can win. <laughs> uh, King! King! What are we going to do with him? Uh, he's he's a wonderful... Well, he's not a pet, you know, as Luz has clarified. 
Yeah. He is just a very good boy. Now, I, I know that last time we talked about Owl House, I was like, oh, it was so obvious that the, that, that monster was actually Ida. But uh, this time, uh, despite all the hints they gave us, I did not realize that Amity was using a power glyph. I didn't think that there was anything weird about how huge her abomination yeah. was, even though she's like, looks up, huh, that's weird. I've never done that before when she summons the huge abomination. Right. She felt mostly comfortable with it. And I thought it was silly that when the abomination shrunk back down after having the patch removed. But not its head. It shrunk down to way smaller than anything that Amity would have ever made. No, no, it was... Did you see how small it was when she summoned it out there in the in the hall? I thought they were, like, people-sized. its head at the, like, the chef's coven or something. It was smaller than her. Weird. Uh, yeah, that's just... It's funny to think of Amity as someone who doesn't... Who isn't that good. <laughs> you know, because she sure talks herself up to be. Well, remember, she's just in school. Yeah, that's totally true. Everything she's thinking about is more like future goals, not present ability. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see in a later episode that she's actually quite magically weak, hmm. so... Which makes her very sensitive, again. Oh, yes. So, I mean, she's got all the... She's got the drive, she's got the knowledge, but the, she doesn't have the raw power behind it that well, someone someone in the Luz's friend group has a lot of raw power behind them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would bet it's Willow, but Luz is the main character. Yeah, Willow, Willow and Gus do turn out to be pretty good at pairing for for loose they they hold quite a bit each well, you know gus you think with illusions isn't the best but some good uh, illusion content coming up if you haven't gotten there yet i i've seen i've seen everything so far and uh starting in march we'll be getting new stuff that'll be fun yeah <laughs> can't wait uh but i you mentioned uh gus i love the whole do you think they'll sign my forehead and <laughs> that they actually do i love that <laughs> I, I like the kid who's just a normal average kid in the crowd who uh, inflates his head, maybe cracks his neck, and maybe kills the kid next to him and then never resolves that. I mean, maybe his forehead should have gotten signed. Wasn't that the other guy? Like, what's his name? Martholomew? The the hum- the guy for, the guy who transferred in from Glandis? Because I know he was in this episode with a normal-sized head, but I'm not sure if that he's the same one from the stands or not. Mm. Well, continuity, just look again and see if he has a gigantic head in later episodes. <laughs> Hold on. Bump's asking a rhetorical question. It really looks like him. I mean, at some point you gotta reuse those character models, right? So yeah, it really looks like him there in the stands, but there's no specific voice credit for him. I, I guess I could check the additional voices credits, but eh. On a completely different topic... Was this the first name drop of the Emperor? Um, I believe so. They didn't mention him for the conformatorium at all? That wasn't like his will? This is the first time his will, the Emperor, is brought up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we had the conformatorium episode, and then we had... Oh yeah, the second one was the Deceiver Demon, the whatever puppeteer was it mm-hmm. and then you had the band from hexide and then you had the owl beast so yeah no no real room to talk about the emperor i appreciate in in a show that you know does a little more straightforward explaining of stuff they, they do hold back the emperor in season one and wait I, if my memory serves me correctly until the very end and i yep. like that because <laughs> It was a good buildup, and you know, it's not like the most complicated thing to come up with. Oh, name drop. 
a mysterious enemy that you don't find out about until, you know, way later in the show. But I like all these details about the world that you get to build up and think about what kind of person constructed this and why. And then it's such a different person (laughs) as you learn more and more about them that, you know, confuses the picture. But uh, yeah, I that was this was one of the aspects I really enjoyed early on in the Owl House was just this starting here, the emperor and thinking about who this mysterious entity is. I don't know. I love the design of his crony, which I think we also see for the first time. Uh, Kiki Mora. Yeah, Kiki's great, but uh, not the best introduction. Like, I love the character design, but her, you know, report back to me again you know, stereotypical stuff in the mirror is, uh, I don't know. She's just like, yeah, you should really catch your sister. The emperor would be pleased. It's, and I don't know. I like yeah, her later on. I don't, I don't know. I, I I forgive them. I forgive them for it. Yeah. It's just a little tropey villainousness, but that's okay. You got to introduce that Lilith may be the all powerful one as far as the public is concerned, but she has, other people other than just the emperor who she reports to. Yeah. I mean, actually, it's probably just one other person, actually. Yeah, it's a it's not that tall of a hierarchy above her. Yeah, not at, not at the very not at the very peak. No. So but my, my one regret with how story arc driven the Owl House becomes so quickly is that there is so much about magic. I do not understand in the in the world of the owl house and it never bothers to explain to Luz or to us like the when ida is demonstrating oh you know i never joined a coven so i still have all of my magic she makes a fireball and she makes a water ball and then just to just to back that up the emperor's coven is demonstrating oh look we can do it all fire water and electricity but i don't there are nine main covens that you could be sealed into and none of those do what we would consider to be elemental magic. It's not like one of them creates a wall, one of them summons a, you know, hawk out of nowhere, and then another summons a, an abomination. It's like, no, we're doing elemental magic, which is not restricted by any coven. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, you'd think it would be a well out, well thought out system, but I don't know. There's, there's lots of, how do you even categorize some of what they do? Like, Ida's owl constructions that are sort of earthbender-like. It's, what does that fit under in this world? I, I don't even know. I, I assumed that that would be construction magic, that she was uh, with the, the hoodie she was sicking on Lily. Mm-hmm. But what about the portal I guess part? Lulu. Is there a portal coven? Oh, where she was, she was opening up the... She was creating the little hoodies out of big hoodie? Right, it kind of looked like she was using material from one place, but kind of like transposing it to another part of space-time but i don't know i don't know <laughs> great sequence though beautifully animated dr space-time and the continuums mm-hmm. yes that was a very fun battle i i can't get the idea out of my head of putting that battle to kaiju baby from glitch text <laughs> epic song epic battle i mean anything to kaiju baby is automatically more epic so yeah i don't know the magic is hard for me to comprehend and also you know the glyph thing that seems unique to lose is not entirely unique since the builders have it but i then can't think of any other example where anyone draws glyphs in the rest of the show 
So I don't know why the building um, guys have it. The description for the healing coven mentions healing glyphs. I think that might be mentioned in one of the episodes talking about Ida's curse. Because they're the ones that... The only other time healing magic really comes up is the one with the basilisk at Hexide. Mm-hmm. That's the only other time I remember them talking about healing magic. So it's there are only a few episodes it could be. But the, the wiki does mention healing glyphs. So I, I'm sure each coven has their own glyphs. Yeah, it's just those are actually... The building coven ones are like on a paper medium like loses, which is, you know, coincidental. No one else seems to do things on paper. It's supposed to kind of be a weird thing that Luz figured out you could do. So I don't know. It feels like a little bit of early season, early show, you know, coinky dink. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, maybe they just wanted an excuse to have Nose Girl go Super Saiyan. Mm-hmm. I thought it was pretty awesome. <laughs> Destroyer of worlds! <laughs> Nose Girl's one of the best characters in uh, in animation history. I agree. I mean, she's no Susie McAllister, but she's up there as far as uh, author sonas. She's no Susie McAllister. <laughs> okay, we're ready to wrap this episode. Anyway, guys, that's it for us on convention. Join us next week. Until then, I'm GC13, and I'm David. Uh, Don't forget to leave us a review anywhere you listen to podcasts. I think we're at like 99 reviews on Apple Podcasts, so one more, and it'll be a three-digit number, which is, you know, not a two-digit number. Later, everybody. Our opening and closing music is by Mark Soto. For more cartoon-related content, please visit LunarCeasefire.com.